In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for With your permission, Lord Jesus Christ, truly present with us in the Blessed Sacrament. Our topic of prayer is, in a certain sense, is every topic of meditation, and that is a game plan to be totally centered on Christ, or in short, a plan to become a saint. So the official theme of our conversation with our Lord is fidelity to the plan of life. We open the gospel, and just by its very context, we realize that what Jesus is saying is for public consumption. And it's not an isolated idea, but it's repeated throughout the writings of St. Paul that the Christian, the disciple of Jesus, is called to be in a constant relationship with him, constant dialogue through the medium of work, through the medium of suffering, through the medium of silence, through the medium of deeds of kindness, but it's always a dialogue with our Lord. And we ask you, Lord, enlighten us on how to foster dispositions and concrete moves, resolutions, to enhance our discipleship. Because our Christian vocation, by virtue of baptism, is to spread the kingdom, bring more people to Christ, attract people to Christ. It doesn't certainly stop a devotion. I don't think in any place in the gospel, Jesus says that discipleship is a series of devotions even though he does say that the energy source of bearing fruit is this special union with him. This union th through the vine or the bread of God, this union with him through the cross, this union with him through the word, meditation, mental prayer. As I was reflecting on this topic, an anecdote of St. Jose Maria came to mind. I'm old enough to say that I was connected with Opus Dei when he was still alive. He died in 1975, so just use the man. And everybody was ooing and eyeing over him that he was a living saint. 
and that piqued a lot of curiosity. We would ask, well, how did you know he was a saint? And people would just give this kind of answer. We just know. And then they would kind of get spiritually defensive and said, you would know too. You would know. You would not doubt. Okay, fine. And what I would keep hearing is that he was undergoing a lot of mystical suffering that caused him to weep. He was temperamentally a tough Spaniard, but he wept, wept during mass. They say he wept so much that it affected his eyes. And he was weeping over the situation of the world and the situation within the church. He was suffering because so many did not know Christ and so many were not receiving the truth of the gospel. And it made him suffer a lot. The burgeoning of moral relativism made him suffer. The attacks on the unborn, the attacks on marriage, it all gave him a lot of pain. And he would beg for prayers because so he could sustain that pain that he was mystically undergoing. And after a lot of prayer of petition, he received a locution. Throughout his life, he would receive locutions. And I guess colloquially described or put, it would be words of scripture coming out of nowhere and words that he had never memorized, but all of a sudden they, they appear. They appeared in Latin. Why not in Spanish? I have no idea. I'm just an employee here. It was, it was in Latin. And one of the last ones, well, last two anyway, was something out of Isaiah. Clama necessis, which means clamor without stopping. And so he received that locution and then published it for everybody involved with the formative activities of Opus Dei. He says the way to respond to this absence of Christ, this doctrinal ignorance, this moral relativism, he probably didn't use those phrases, is to connect with Christ more than ever. He said, that's what you can do. And through that clamor, our Lord will work miracles of the Spirit. I think maybe his last one, I don't know, it was also in Latin. And it was, it was from the letter to the Hebrews, but with one word changed. And if I, let's see if I got it right. Don't ask me to do it Latin, it's too late. Um, even if it were too early, I couldn't do it in Latin. So who am I kidding? Uh, let us proceed to the throne of grace to obtain mercy. And I think the original was, let us proceed to the throne of glory to obtain mercy. And he related that to the Blessed Mother. This phrase, Klamenechesis, pray without ceasing, squares with quotations from St. Paul as well that we must always be clamoring to him. And St. Luke captures the teachings of Jesus. He's the only one who 
has this quotation. He summarizes the teachings of our Lord, chapter 18 of his gospel, Luke's gospel, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Gives a, at least I find it a bit humorous. I mean, I'm not going to split my gut laughing, but humorous nonetheless. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor regarded man. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him, saying, Vindicate me against my adversary. So this judge had no human respects. He had no fear of God, no fear of man. And he was adamant in his verdicts, even if his verdicts were seemingly unjust. It's parable. And this nagging widow badgers him. Now, without getting into any ethnic evaluations, but each culture has its own characteristics. And I say this positively. I can imagine a Jewish widow badgering somebody. I, I've seen it. And they could be very good at badgering. And what wears a man down is someone to the likes of a badgering widow. I hope I don't get in trouble. And so our Lord uses that analogy with a bit of tongue-in-cheek, with his own Jewish sense of humor. Gets the listener's attention, because they could relate to it on some level. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will vindicate her or she will wear me out by her continual coming. So our Lord uses a graphic image, which certainly his audience could appreciate. So can we. That there is a vision our Lord has for us in our relationship with him. It is that we're always in his presence. It's a work of a lifetime, but it doesn't mean I'm going to put it off for a lifetime. But it's a work of a lifetime. And it is necessary that we dialogue with him more in order to attract more people. I had a conversation with somebody. I think it's generic somebody, because it's happened before. It could be man or woman. that they're getting too much credit. That there's been some comments that uh, he's a holy person, or she's a holy person. Most people like that, okay? You know, we, pride is a capital sin. You know, I don't think we're going to lose too much sleep over being called holy. We know it's not true, but, you know... We'll take the credit even if it's not due. It's kind of nice for someone to say, I think you're holy. 
even if it's not true. What can I say? But there's a few people who get all worked up over that. And they feel like they should be like St. Augustine and start enlightening people that they're not so hot and, you know, reveal some of their foibles. Foible is a euphemism for sin. Just to disabuse people of that wrong evaluation, that they're not holy whatsoever, that, gee, their track record is an embarrassment, it's shameful. And some people get so upset when they're accused of being good. Not too many, okay? I'm not going to lie to you. They get very emotional, and they're very agitated over this because they feel that they're being frauds, hypocrites, misleading people. So, so far, so good. I said, well, just, just let me ask you a question. And I'm, you know, kind of crossing my fingers because if he doesn't answer the question properly, then it doesn't work. I said, what's your schedule like every day? Do you have a routine for prayer? He said, yes, I do. What do you do? Well, not very well, but I say the rosary, uh, go to Mass during the week, I read Scripture. I go, well, I'd be kind of surprised if people didn't think you were holy. I mean, it's not about you, it's about your prayer life. I don't mean it in a silly sense. I go, there's an intangible glow in spite of your sins and weaknesses that reveals itself not because you're any good, but because Christ is good. It's that simple. St. Maria says, you want to be holy, be pious. And he says, charity is always in function of our piety. Why? Well, because who is Christ? Christ is the incarnation of love, and when we pray, we do what St. Paul recommends. Put on Jesus Christ. Yes, clothing reveals a message. But clothing is superimposed upon ourselves. Even we may, you know, I know there's a lot of cult of the body here, but a good suit can hide the defects of the body. The lack of muscle tone or whatever. I hope I don't hurt feelings here. A good suit can hide a lot of that. Make us look presentable, elegant. It's not the body, it's what covers the body, which is Christ. Put them on. This word, this phrase, plan of life, is uh, something coined by St. Jose Maria, but it's obviously something everybody can use. How do I reach that goal of constant dialogue? And a lot of times I, I hear, I'm thinking about them all day. I go, great. That's a gift. Now, do you rendezvous with him? No, I don't have to. I think about him all day. I go, it doesn't work. I mean, what would your wife say? Or what would your husband say? If you thought about her all day. It's the wife th thought about him all day, but never talked to you. Doesn't go too far. So we need 
a plan to give quality time to our Lord. Yeah, it's good for me, it's good for you, but that's not the main reason. It's good for the others. Because I want to put on Jesus Christ. I want to reveal him in, with my sins and my weaknesses and foibles. Christ is Christ. He covers over me. And so I need what we call a plan to deal with Christ, not biting off more than we could chew, but pushing ourselves, but pushing ourselves realistically with the idea of expanding that heart that has no limit to its possible expansion. At least that part of us. That's that one gift we all have. We give different skills and gifts. But the most important gift is that. That gift to love. But we need the piety to really expand our heart. And so it is, it's, it's a service. So what is this plan of life? Well, it's a plan to live a life in Christ. That's what it is. It's a plan. We need plans. Especially if you're supporting a family, you need a budget plan. And more important than the plan, the plan is indispensable, but you've got to live the plan. I mean, it doesn't help to have a plan and not to abide by the budget plan. That's the way to go broke. All right? There's game plans. Well, how am I going to conduct this football game or basketball game or baseball game against this opponent? I need a plan. And now, you know, sports has been so developed... You see these kids with these loose-leaf binders. I thought, you know, one was on an Olympic team. This is my game plan. I said, why, you must be a gifted athlete. No, it's just freshman football. I go, oh, okay. Big loose-leaf binder, and it's specialized. It's just a wide receiver, and it says, all, you know, all sorts of... It's a game plan. And the important thing is to study that plan and then live the plan. Implement the plan. Uh, what's the goal? It's to be a saint. The Holy Spirit makes us saints, but our cooperation is key. Jesus says, you will receive in the measure you give. All right. So, what is it? First, we need this disposition. We have to realize why we're doing this. You seek friendship of those who, with their conversation and affection... With their company, help you to bear more easily the exile of this world, although sometimes those friends fail you. I don't see anything wrong with that. But how is it that you do not seek every day more eagerly the company, the conversation of that great friend who will never fail you? So that's what I need to do. I need quiet time with our Lord and the Holy Father in his exhortation on Holiness and the, and the big message of our Holy Father is to reach out and bring people to Christ. Periphery likes that word, but periphery sometimes is in my own home, my own place to work, my own neighborhood. And then he and he and he emphasizes this apostolate of attraction. And I have to think along those lines. It's not about my interior life and I stop there or my personal moral life is about attracting other people to Christ and I need to make a plan what could be a typical plan 
Well, first of all, we need to not fall into this trap. All right. God's coming over Lazarus' house for dinner. All right. that is, that's not very common, to have God come over at your house for dinner. All right. And the women are probably fit to be tied. At least one of them is fit to be tied. Lazarus is uh, hopeless. He's not even mentioned. You know, the sisters don't even bother asking him to help because, uh, you know, he's a hopeless case. He ain't going to change. He doesn't get it. So he's not mentioned in this encounter, even though him and Jesus are buds. Martha received him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who, had, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. There was a lot of stuff to do by the context of this. This is a, a unique occasion. Never again in the future history will anybody have God over her house or his house for dinner. You know, especially in light of the fact that he didn't even have time to eat. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me here to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Don't do this plan of life stuff. The sitting at that's a kind of, it's not practical. You got a lot to do. You got a lot to accomplish. You're crazy busy, as they say. You got a lot on your plate. It's been a crazy week. I'm overly programmed. Our Lord says, I don't care. Get stuff off your plate. Put me on your plate. Martha, Martha, and it's the only time I think he ever repeats the name twice. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. One thing is needful. Mary has chosen the good portion. And what could be a typical plan of life? Well, the first thing is we need to, as St. Maria teaches, the heroic minute. We need a time, well, I would say a time to retire or go to bed so that we can wake up a little bit early to spend some time in prayer. Well, I leave the house at 4.30. Okay, well, turn the train into a, a chapel. What can I tell you? Or your car into an ambulatory chapel. That's the best you can do. Don't worry about it. But if we can, pray in front of the Blessed Sacrament, take out the way or any book that helps us connect with our Lord, the gospel of the day, that the minute we wake up, we drop to our knees without being unnatural and, you know, don't spook anybody. You know, one guy spooked his own dog and there was an accident. Uh, say the morning offering, find a minute to read the gospel, do an examination of conscience at night, three minutes, say three Hail Marys for your purity, say a couple of decades of the rosary. I mean, this could be a nice beginning. Purchase a spiritual book that helps us connect with our Lord. And live that schedule. Have a schedule. You know, doing mental prayer is not like going to a pizza party. You know, we got to schedule it in. And then live that heroic minute. Say yes. No, that's my designated time. And if I can't do it at the designated time, I don't do it later. I do it earlier. These are just some ideas. So we, we close our prayer going to the Blessed Virgin Mary and ask her to help us see the urgency for this work of new evangelization, that I be a man of prayer. And we ask her for that grace to convert us to putting her son first and implementing a realistic game plan to be a saint. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel intercede for me.